I'm going to review just a little bit uh, from the book of Hebrews to set the um, stage, if you will, for this message tonight. We read Hebrews 11, verses 38 through 40, and look at verse 40 again before I um, tell some things about Hebrews. It says, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, when I taught the book of Hebrews, the meaning of this verse was not apparent to me as I was studying this book, and I wanted to figure out what it was talking about. I want to explain that verse to you tonight, but it's going to take us looking at the whole of chapter 11. But first of all, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. It is powerful. It, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It divides things asunder. And Lord, I pray that you use your Word tonight to challenge us, to provoke us, to help us. And I pray that you would Fill me with your spirit, that I would not be a hindrance, but a help tonight. Amen. The book of Hebrews is a book of exhortation. To exhort someone is to plead with them to do what's right. And in the book of Hebrews, there are five warning passages. In chapter 2, chapter 3 and 4, chapter 6, chapter 10, and chapter 12. And God is pleading with the people, these Hebrew believers, to hold fast to their faith. In order to connect with them and to get them to understand, he presents to them the majesty of Christ. And he presents to them the ministry of Christ. In chapters 1 through 9 and into chapter 10 through verse 19, we see the majesty and ministry of Christ. Christ is presented to us in all of his glory. He is the creator, God, the son of God, the lowly savior, the lamb of God, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And his ministry of entering into the, through the veil, entering into that holy place, that tabernacle not made with hands in the heavens, and presenting the blood sacrifice, that was his ministry that he could offer redemption to you and I. Then we come to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, it's no longer the majesty of Christ and the ministry of Christ, but it becomes the ministers of Christ. And the focus shifts to us and to our duty. And I want us to look at chapter 11 tonight, and we're not going to read every verse, but we're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to hit some highlights, and we're going to focus on some of the verses in an effort to help us understand the last verse of chapter 11. Verse number 1, the Bible says, now, the, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? Well, it's talking about the fact that faith is the thing that supports our hope. We talk about having eternity in view. Uh, we look to eternity with hope. We don't look to eternity with dread. Or we as Christians don't. 
And the reason we can look to eternity with hope is because we have a substance, a thing on which hope relies upon, a thing on which hope rests, and that is faith. A confidence in something that we believe. And the Bible says in verse 2, well, let's look in verse 4. He says, I want you to look at the first three words, by faith, what? Abel. God is talking about the ministers of Christ at this point. By faith, Abel. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch. Verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is, and that he is a what? Rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I believe with all my heart that he is. Do you? Do you believe that he is? I also believe that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Look at verse 7. It says, by faith, Noah. Verse 8. We're going to read these next few verses, all of them. In verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham. When he was called to go out into a place which he should not after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a, what? Strange country. And by the way, I don't have any points for you tonight. It's not going to be a one, two, three, four point sermon. I think you'll be able to follow me because we'll just go through these verses and explain them. Okay? But we're going to get done when I get down to verse 40. All right? So stick with me. I'm not trying to confuse you. It's going to teach you the Bible tonight. And hope, hopefully, verse 40, you will be challenged by, by the understanding of that verse. But Abraham went out, and it says that he sojourned in the land of promise in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For Let's read it together, verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Did you notice the word there? He what? He looked, reaching with eternity in view. He looked. Verse number 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having what? Seen them afar off. How? By faith and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were, that they were, that they were, and pilgrims on the earth. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This book is written for you and I, for our edification, for our exhortation. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the things were, were mentioned afore, 
were rich, written for our learning. And these verses are here for our learning. God is telling us about the, the ministers of yesteryear, the, the saints of the Old Testament. And he's telling us their story to provoke us. And their confession was that they were strangers and pilgrim, pilgrims on this earth. The three things I want you to notice here about this verse, I told you I didn't have any points, but I'm going to give you three about this verse. First, I want you to see that it is our faith that allows us to see afar off. We're never going to have strong missions programs. We're never going to do the work of God until we have strong faith. That's why we have to walk with God. That's why we have to be in the Word of God. Because, as the pastor said yesterday, faith cometh by hearing. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you put a sermon on and you just play it in the background. That's not how faith comes. That word hearing, hearing there means understanding. When you read God's word and you understand what it's saying to you, then God can build your faith. It's not done by osmosis. It's our faith that allows us to see afar off, but then, it's, then I want you to notice it requires that we endure, hoping to receive a promise. See, they were willing to endure because they saw something far off by faith. And then it requires that we consider ourselves strangers and pilgrims. You know what that means? That means we're foreigners. We're guests. And we have got to get that attitude about ourselves. We're too at home in this world. Look at the next verse 14. It says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Those that confess that they are pilgrims and strangers in this world, they do it because they're seeking something else. They're seeking another country. They're seeking a heavenly reward. They're seeking a better substance in heaven. I want to read to you tonight a song that my daughter wrote, my daughter Rachel. We just brought her to college. People have asked me, or people asked me about Kimberly's wedding last week. And, you know, are you ready? Well, of course I'm ready. That's easy, man. She's been out of my house for five years, and she's marrying somebody, and he's going to help pay the bills now. That's easy, man. It's the one I'm dropping off for college is the hard thing. It's probably one of the hardest things for missionaries when they start sending their children back to America. There is no more Christmas visits and Thanksgiving times and breaks. And, and folks, let me just tell you, Facebook don't get it done. FaceTime is not the same thing as hugging them and being in the room with them. And I want to thank this church for loving my family. I want to thank this church for loving on my children. You make a difference in our lives. When they asked the question, what's the, what, what was the question of, I was talking about being dropped down off a tower, one of the scariest things you've ever done. Did you, did you hear what my wife said? She said, going to Ghana with a bunch of little children. And it's also difficult to send those kids back to America. 
And we were saying goodbye to my daughter. We had a little party for her in Ghana. We were saying goodbye to her, and she had written this song. I want to read it to you tonight. I hope you'll listen uh, to the words. Excuse me. When I was just a little child, no higher than your knee, my daddy said, pack up your bags and come away with me. We're headed for the great unknown to serve our mighty king. And we must leave our country, our home, our everything. The continent of Africa is where my family went. We stopped off in Ghana, and there my life I spent. We said goodbye to all. We knew our friends in Ghana few. And Daddy said, get used to it, because it's a lifelong trip. I've been on this great journey now for 13 years. I've learned to trust God with my life, my fortunes, and my fears. I know that I am never alone, though it may seem that way. I've got a friend in Jesus, my refuge, and my stay. I learned a lot of lessons about relationships. There's been a lot of burned bridges and a few, few more sunken ships. Don't let this melancholic mood destroy your view of me. I, really, I am really quite happy as happy as can be. I'll meet a million people and then remember few. There's only so much you can ask my brain to do. I have to adjust the time zones and I survive the culture shock. Just give me a few minutes and my brain will unlock because I've been on a lifelong road trip. This trip I'm on has really been very interesting. I've seen a lot of people and I've learned a lot of things, but I look forward to the day when I can settle down. My home in heaven is waiting for me where I'll lay my burdens down. When I read that song that my daughter wrote, my heart was comforted. I didn't need to fret about her leaving her family and her leaving her behind because she knew the Lord and she had eternity in view and that she considered herself to be a pilgrim and a stranger in this world. Are you a pilgrim and a stranger in this world or are you just a friend of the world? We're not going to reach this world for Christ being a friend of the world. Look in verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. If they had been, in, if they had been of the mind to draw back, then they would have had the opportunity. That's what it's saying here. In Hebrews chapter 10, God warned us not to draw back. And we talked about that Sunday morning. 
you will have opportunities to draw back if you're mindful of your opportunities in this world. If you're mindful, until you become a stranger and a pilgrim in this world, we're not going to do the work of world evangelism. There are people not here tonight, some for, I'm sure, legitimate reasons, and others because they're a friend of the world. They don't have time to be in church on a Monday night. I want to be a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. And I have a lot of improvement to do in that area. Look at verse 16. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God rejoices to be called our God when we by faith endure in his will Desiring by faith a better country. This world should not be our home. We should just be passing through. We should be laying up treasures somewhere beyond the blue. That has got to be our focus. That is reaching with eternity in view. God, I'm just a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. And what's going to keep some of you from giving the faith promise missions? What's going to keep some of you from surrendering to go somewhere to the mission field is that you are not a stranger and a pilgrim in this world. We keep reading verse 20. It says, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured seeing by faith him who is invisible. But what did he have to do first? He had to contemn the things of this world. It's a great word in the Bible. It's not condemn, it's contempt. And it's different than the word condemn. And we're never going to do the work of world evangelism until we start contemning this world. That means we despise it and the things of it. We don't look at sinners and lust after them and lift them up in honor, but we contemn their lifestyles. We despise the things of the world. We don't, we don't look to the pleasures of sin and go after it, but we esteem the riches of heaven, greater riches as Moses did. He grew up in the palace. He had all the comforts of the world available to him. But he counted being numbered amongst God's people as a more precious thing. And he despised the things of the world. And he saw him who is invisible. And he had eternity in view. And that's the kind of view we need tonight. 
It's got to be more than just a view of getting the gospel to people, but we've got to understand that sin is our enemy. That living a worldly life is going to keep us from getting the gospel to the world. And we've got to be willing to turn from sin. God's going to use clean vessels. He's not going to use us when we're walking in the world and don't want to be right with him. This is one of the clearest pictures of how faith impacts the life of believer. Moses sacrificed the life of the palace believing that there was a better reward in the future. He did not allow fear to make his decisions, but rather his faith. He had to endure, however. Faith brings pain. He had to endure some things. When you decide to live by faith, your faith is going to be tested. And you're going to have to endure some things. No endurance, no fruits of faith. And an eternal view will help you to endure. A proper view of heaven and what it brings will help you to endure in this world. Get your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews has taken 10 chapters to picture Jesus to us and to tell us of his majesty and his ministry because God is saying, get your eyes on Jesus. And when you get your eyes on his majesty and focused on his ministry, then you can be his minister. And you can have an eternal view. I'll tell you what changed my life. It's called the B-I-B-L-E. It was reading God's word that changed my life, that changed my heart, that made me fit for the master's use. It was reading God's word and listening to the preaching of God's word that put me in a place to hear God's call. And we need to deal with sin in our lives. Look in verse 32. And what shall I more say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, of Barak and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets? Then I want you to notice in verse 33, it says, who through, who through faith, they did what? Subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed violent in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Woo, man, that sounds great, doesn't it? Boy, it sounds like if you practice faith, all these great things are going to happen. But don't stop reading. Because that's not where the passage stops. That's not where the text ends. Look in verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Glory. But then it says others were what? Tortured. Not accepting deliverance. That means they had to lay it all on the line for their Savior. God did not provide deliverance for them in, in this life. He didn't provide safety for them in this life. They had to die as martyrs because they wouldn't accept the deliverance of the world from that martyrdom. 
Then it says that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see, they had eternity in view. The Bible talks about two resurrections, the resurrection of the unjust and the resurrection of the just. The resurrection of the unjust will appear at the great white throne one day and be judged for their sin. But all of us who are just in Jesus Christ, righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, we will appear before God at the judgment seat of Christ. But the type of resurrection we have will be determined by how we serve God here. And they wanted a better resurrection. They were about to be killed for their faith in Christ. They could have recanted. They could have said, we reject Christ. We recant our faith. But they would not accept that deliverance. Why? Because they had eternity in view. They said, we're going to stand before that same Christ one day, and we want a better resurrection. We want to hear, well done. Not, why did you turn on me? in the face of the enemy. They chose to suffer because of their faith. I don't know where God's going to call you. God has not called me to a dangerous country. But I can tell you, we didn't really know what was going to happen when we went there. We went by faith. Wherever God calls you, He will be with you. And he can protect you, but yes, he may ask you to give it all. And there are people in this world giving it all for Jesus Christ. There are people in this, in this world right now that are dying for their faith in Christ. And the Bible doesn't guarantee us temporal deliverance from the wrath of this world. But it does promise us a better resurrection. And we need to keep that in view. And we need to reach because we have that type of view that God talks about in the Scriptures. Look at verse 36. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Oh, the nameless stories in the Bible and all of history, they are innumerable. We only read in the Bible of certain people God wants us to know about. But many of the people who are great heroes of faith, they remain nameless in our Bible. And in the Hebrews chapter 11 that many call the hall of faith, where God tells us about the ministers of Christ, many of them, most of them are nameless. And they gave it all for God because they wanted a better resurrection. And most of us in this life, most of us in the mission of getting the gospel out to the world will remain nameless. You won't be the face of a ministry, most of you. Your name won't be associated with Team Ghana the way mine is. 
Your name won't be associated with First Baptist Church of Hammond the way his is. Your name won't be associated with FBMI the way his is. Your name won't be associated with VIMI the way his is. But you are significant. But you are important. You have a job to do. You have a race to run. You have a part to play. And you are just as important to God as David and Daniel and Jephthah and all the others that were mentioned in this chapter. And you will not be left out. And you will face God at the judgment seat. And God will have a better resurrection for you. You are somebody. And you are significant to what we're trying to do in world evangelism. Whether you go or whether you stay, all of us, as he said a while ago, it's not a lone ranger mission. It takes us all. And God is not a God that in, in the Bible simply tells us about David and Paul and Peter. No, if you read carefully here, he tells us about all the nameless people who served him with not much fanfare and gave it all for Christ. But he reminds us that they're going to have a better resurrection. Verse 39, These all have obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. What is this verse talking about? That they without us should not be made perfect. This verse is building upon the entire book of Hebrews. You see, the book of Hebrews has presented to us in the first nine and into the 10th chapter his story. It's all about Christ. It's all about who he was, God in the flesh, who died for man. It's all about his ministry, his blood sacrifice. But Hebrews also presents their story. What is their story? It's the saints of the Old Testament. If you'll read through the book of Hebrews, you'll see that God depicts the Old Testament saints in two ways. He presents them in a negative way and a positive way. In all of the warning passages in Hebrews where God is warning us to hold fast to our faith or face his judgment as our father, he gives us the illustration of the Old Testament saints that provoked him in the wilderness. Who were not satisfied with what he gave them. They were not satisfied with the manna. They longed for the leeks and the garlics and the onions of Egypt. They were not satisfied with the water from the rock. They wanted Egypt. And when he told them to go into the promised land, they feared the giants. And God said, okay, you're going to wander in the wilderness. And God brought judgment to his people. That's their story. And it's not a good story. But then he tells us the positive side 
of the Old Testament saints. And that's in Hebrews chapter 11, where he says, Noah by faith, and Moses by faith, and Joseph by faith, and Abraham by faith, and Sarah by faith. And he tells us all these nameless people and the great things they did for God. So God has presented Christ and his story. He has presented the Old Testament saints and their story, both bad and good. And in verse 40, he comes to us. And he says, the story is not over. The story will not be made complete. They're not going to be perfected. They're not going to be glorified without you and me. This story of the gospel, this story of God, it's not over. You and I have a role to play. You've heard it said, and I have said it, and I'm not trying to correct anyone. I just want you to get you to see something here. You've heard it said that history is his story. It's not true. History's not simply his story. It's more than just his story. Because the story, his story, is a story of sacrifice. His story is a story of redemption. His story is the story of the gospel. And all those things include us. You say, without us, his story is meaningless. No, history is not just his story. History is his story. It's their story. It's my story. More importantly, it's your story. The book of Hebrews is not just trying to get us to focus on who Christ was and what he did But the book of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand that he did all that. That we would have eternity in view. And that we would reach. Because God in his graciousness and his mercy and his goodness, he lets us be a part of his story. He had you in his story, Mark Bushy. You get to be a part of the greatest story ever told. History's not just his story. It's our story. Are you doing your part? Or are you going to be like those Old Testament saints that provoked God in the wilderness and died in the wilderness? Or are you going to be like those that he praised in Hebrews chapter 11 who ran their race? Do you see it? Do you see it? Look in chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Man, we've got this great story of Christ, and we've got these great stories of the Old Testament, but folks, there's more story to be written, and it includes you and I. When I read the stories of the Old Testament, it is easy to envy their experiences with God. Moses splitting the Red Sea and 
the prophets hearing directly from God and Daniel in the lion's den and David killing a bear and a lion and Goliath. It's easy to envy those stories, almost as if they knew him better. However, I think we have a better opportunity. They had the law, a shadow of that which is to come. We have the actual Christ. They look forward, we look backward. The writer of Hebrews systematically lays out Christ's superiority to the prophets, his superiority to the priest, his superiority to kings, his superiority to angels. He details Christ's preeminence over leaders like Moses and Aaron and Joshua and David. He demonstrates his superior priesthood and the sacrifice of himself as greater than the Old Testament offerings. And he urges them not to fall into unbelief and faithlessness like Israel's forefathers and warns against spiritual immaturity. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the completed scriptures. We have the historic Jesus, not the prophesied Jesus. We have the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. They have run their race, but it's not just about them. He's done his part, but may I reverently say it's not only about Yes, he is the vine, but who's going to yield to that vine? Yes, without him, we are nothing, but who's going to yield to him and let the power of God do something through him? If it were all just about Jesus, we'd have no need to be here tonight. We don't need to talk about world evangelism. God has decided, as he said earlier, to partner with us. That means we have a role to play. That means we have a part in this story. And we've seen in this book, Christ and the Old Testament saints and their story told. And now he says, but they're, they're not going to be perfect without us. That means that story's not going to be complete. And then he turns around and says, wherefore, now, go run your race. And you notice how he mentions there the besetting sin. We've got to lay aside our weights. We've got to lay aside our sin. And we've got to go run our race. Are you running your race for God? It's not just about his story. It's not just about their story. It's not just about my story. It's your story. What's your story? What's your story? You need, everybody in this room needs to be asking God, what is my part in missions? What do I need to do? What role do I play? God, do I need to go to another country? God, do I need to pastor a church? God, do, what do I need to do? Because God makes it clear here that we are a significant part of the story and I behoove you to listen because I'm telling you when you stand before God you're going to find out God's going to look at you Jesus is going to look and he's, saying, he's going to say it wasn't just about my story 
I graciously allowed you to have a part in it. And what did you do with that opportunity? What are you doing with that opportunity to labor with a God of glory and to be his minister? Don't miss out. Don't miss out. And your story's not going to be like mine. It's not going to be like his or his or his or his or his. But run your race.